This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. It's only going to be a two-week series, but but this is going to be, I think, phenomenal. I think it's going to change, honestly, some of our perceptions about God. It's going to show us some really incredible things, and, and I'm excited to dig into it. You see, the thing about parables is, um, you know, people talk about parables a lot because Jesus taught in parables a lot, right? Most of Jesus' teaching was in story form. And, and, you know, I've heard people say, well, that's how Jesus taught. That's actually how most rabbis of the day taught, and Jesus was a rabbi. So Jesus, being a Jew and being a rabbi, he used the story form that the other rabbis would have used. It wasn't, it wasn't uncommon. The thing that made Jesus stand out above all of the other rabbis during his ministry was not only the things that he did, like you know, healing the sick and, and making the lame walk and the blind see and all that good stuff, but it was also the things that he said in these stories were fundamentally life-changing. The things that he said in these stories just shifted everything and turned everything on its head. And I think that sometimes when we're out of that context and we don't understand what's going on and we don't get exactly what he was trying to say, it, it, it kind of loses some of its, like, oomph. It kind of loses some of its power, some of its punch, because we just don't get what's going on, and we don't understand what the deal is. And so today, um, we're actually going to talk about the prodigal son. You guys, how many of you have heard this story before? Cool. All right, most of us. That's awesome. We're going to talk about the prodigal son story, and, and the reason there are two reasons that I want to talk about this. The first reason is, this is my favorite parable it's also my favorite Bible story, period, and it has my favorite verse in it. So I really, I love talking about this specific passage. But the second reason that I wanted to talk about it is because, you know, we talk about this a lot here at Central, but, you know, we believe that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, which means that the God that we could not see or understand before Jesus, we see and understand in Jesus, right? Like I've heard it put that God looks like Jesus, right? In Colossians, Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then the writer of Hebrews writes that Jesus is the full and exact representation of God, which means that if you look at God and God doesn't look like Jesus, you're probably not seeing God clearly. Are you guys with me on that? Now here's the thing. The rabbis of Jesus' day would tell these stories all the time. And these stories, these parables, would kind of try and explain who God was, what God is like, how do we relate to God, what does this kingdom of God look like. And so when Jesus starts telling these stories, he's trying to do the exact same thing, but him being the full and exact representation of God himself, when people hear how these stories end up twisting, they go, whoa, whoa. That's so different than I thought it was. So let's, let's pray and we'll go ahead and dive into it. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for these people here. God, we thank you for the beautiful weather and for the weekend and, and all of that stuff. But Lord, we pray that this morning, as we dig into this passage, we, we pray, we invite you to make this not just another Sunday. We invite you to make this not just another message. God, we just invite your spirit to, to, to change us. We invite your spirit to speak to us 
and to move in us. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to, to leave all of our preconceived notions and all of our baggage and anything that we might be kind of allowing ourselves to put in between us and you, Lord. I pray that you would just take that away. God, I pray that you would give me words to speak, that you'd fill my lungs with your words, and that as I speak, it would be you speaking and not me. And I pray that you'd give us all ears to hear. We love you, Jesus, and in your, in your name, everyone says, amen. Cool. So context is super important, especially when we're talking about parables. Context is important in anything. I mean, when you read a quote from somebody on the news, right, and they take like half of what they said, and then they put it up there, and they're like, this person's the devil, right? Not always. It's just maybe it was in the middle of something. You know what I mean? Um, and context is so important, but especially when we're reading the Bible, and then on top of that, not only when we're reading the Bible, but when we're trying to decode stories taught by a Jewish rabbi, context is super important. Are you guys with me? Can you, can you kind of understand why that would be the case? So just like we talked about in week two of our CC Conversation series that we just got out of, the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, the way that you use it is so important. And we used that $50 word, hermeneutics, and we talked about how we study and how we understand and interpret the Bible. And this is going to be extremely key as we read this story. Because you see a lot of people, when they talk about the, the prodigal son, if I was to tell you, hey, open up your Bibles to Luke 15, and let's read through the story of the prodigal son. The problem is we would miss the two stories that are before it, and we would miss the setup. And those are extremely important as we go through it. So I'm actually going to start at the very beginning of Luke 15. If you guys have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. We're just going to be kind of paraphrasing as we go. So um, that's fine, too. If you, if you don't have your Bibles, we'll throw it up on the screen. But Luke 15, verse 1, is where we start. And what happens is it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, this man welcomes sinners. Okay, I get that. He eats with them. What is the deal with that? Right? Let's ask a simple question, like just, just jumping in. You know, I can kind of imagine the Pharisees are like, dude, I invited Jesus to tapas like two weeks ago, and he didn't want to go with me. Like, I walked by the tapas place, and he's, he told me that the small plates were not enough for him, and that he was like, he had a bigger appetite than that, and now he's eating with these, you know, it's not like that. So when Jesus is going through this story, he's saying, it, it, it says that the Pharisees are, get, are, are getting all up in a bunch, they're getting all frustrated that Jesus is welcoming and eating with sinners. This is key. Because eating with someone in this context, in this ancient Jewish context, was essentially condoning somebody. It was, it was actually like kind of befriending somebody. It was like accepting somebody. So it's not just like, oh, yeah, well, he was at the same restaurant and whatever. Think about it. Like, if you invite somebody out to dinner, it, there's a lot more going on there than just eating together, right? So they, says, they say he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This is the next step, you know? And, and you hear people in the church say this all the time. Well, we welcome people. We welcome sinners. But do you eat with them? Do you hang with them? Are they part of your crew? Are they accepted by you, right? Like, are, are, the, are you cool with being around them? Do they rub you the wrong way, or are they part of your crew? And they say, Jesus hangs out with all these sinners, and I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what the deal is. He even eats with them. This is like a huge step, because eating means acceptance. And you see, automatically, we've got this, like, 
there's this difference here. Because the Pharisees, are, they're trying to earn their keep. They're, they're people of the law. And so they're saying, like, man, we're trying so hard to follow the law and do everything right. And this Jesus guy isn't hanging out with us. He's hanging out with the people that are doing everything wrong. What's the deal? <laughs> this seems totally wrong because we're doing everything right, and these people aren't. And these are the people that Jesus associates with, right? You guys with me there? And so Jesus hears this, and then he launches into three stories. And I'm just going to like paraphrase the stories real quick for you guys. But Jesus hears this, and he launches into three stories in Luke 15. The first story, he starts talking about a lost sheep. He says, suppose one of you have a hundred sheep, which is essentially telling these Pharisees that, they're, that they could be like shepherds, which shepherds were dirty and the lowest class, which was already kind of offensive. But Jesus says, imagine that you, one of you has a hundred sheep, and you lose one And wouldn't you leave the 99 sheep and go after the one until you found the sheep, you put it on your back, and you carry it home so that it can be back where it belongs? And then he goes right into another story. And he says there was a woman that had 10 coins, and she lost one of them. And that one coin was so important to her that she turned her entire house upside down. She, you know, pulled out the couch cushions, you know, moved the couch away from the, you know, that's the scary part, right? You move the couch away from the, hat, from the wall, and then you, you don't even want to know what's there. She does this in her entire house. She completely spring cleans to find this one coin that she lost, and then she brings the coin back, that one coin, and puts it with the other nine, and it's back where it belongs, and Jesus starts talking about how the angels in heaven rejoice when even one sinner is found and brought back to where they belong, okay? And so he tells this story about the sheep, and then he tells this story about the coins, and then he moves on and he continues, like, it's like literally in succession, boom, boom, boom. He starts telling the third story, and the third story, he says there was this son that went to his father, and his father was pretty wealthy and pretty well off. He went to his father, and he said, hey, I want my share of the inheritance. Now, this is a huge deal in their culture. Number one, this never would have happened, ever. This never would have happened. Because the son is essentially going to the father and saying, hey, you know that thing that I get when you're dead? Yeah, I just want it now. <laughs> he says, dad, you're, you're dead to me. I don't want anything to do with you. I want your money, right? So he tells the story, and he says, this, this son comes to the father and says, Dad, you know what? Honestly, we don't have a relationship here. Let's be honest. Let's cut the crap. You, we'll, we'll cut ties. You give me my money. You give me what I deserve. You're dead to me. We'll move on, and I'll go do my thing. And here's the thing. The father in the story gives it to him, gives it to him. And so the Pharisees are listening, and they're going, wait, what? This is such a weird story already. Like, Jesus is obviously setting some stuff up, right? And he says, okay, so the son goes to the father, and he asks the father for his inheritance, and says that you're dead to me, and I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And then he takes the money, and the father gives it to him, and he goes out, and he just, he, it says that he squanders it with wild living. I mean, you can, you can fill in the blanks, right? Like, what this would look like modern day, you go to Vegas, and you go crazy, right? Like, you take millions of dollars and just blow it on every vice you can think of, right? And the son goes out and he just squanders all of his father's inheritance. I mean, you're thinking this, this father earned this money, hard work, hard labor his entire life. This is his 401k. This is his Roth IRA, right? And, and his son just goes and 
blows it. And then there's a moment where the son realizes he, he, he bought, loses all his money and he's, he's tending pigs as his job and he's feeding these pigs and he's so hungry because he can't even afford food. And, and he looks at the food that he's feeding the pigs, the slop that he's feeding the pigs, and he's like, man, that looks pretty good right now. <laughs> and, and so he finally like wakes up. He finally comes to his senses, right? And Luke 15, uh, verses 17 through 19, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, let's just notice here real quick. He doesn't go back because he's sorry. Okay? I, it was the craziest thing. I was, um, I was preparing for this message, and I was sitting at a Starbucks in Gross Point. I had dropped Alyssa off at her yoga classes, and I was just sitting there at Starbucks in Gross Point, and I'm like, I'm like preparing this message, and I've got my headphones in, and I'm listening to like instrumental music because that's just what I do. That's like how I get the juices flowing, right? And so I'm sitting there, and I hear these guys like through my headphones, like I hear these guys arguing like pretty heatedly behind me at one of the tables, and I eavesdrop. Like I just, come on, let's be honest, you do, right? And <laughs> I like to think I do it discreetly, but my wife says it's more like I stare directly at the person with my mouth gaping, like, Right? That's probably the case. But um, so I'm probably, realistically, they're behind me. So I take my headphone, one earphone out, and I turn like this, but I still can't totally hear them. So then I take the second earphone out, and I kind of like twist in my chair. So this this is the point where I'm like, right? And, And because they're like in this heated argument, right? And at first I'm thinking, these guys are dressed up. I'm thinking they're like businessmen arguing about some businessy thing. I don't know. And, um... That shows you how much of a businessman I am, right? Um, <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, like, I wonder what they're arguing about. I wonder, they're, they're so passionate and intense about this. And I start hearing terms like the older brother, the younger brother, the father. And I hear the word prodigal. And I was just like, what is going on here? And, and I guess they're like leaders of a small group at a local church And they were arguing about whether the scripture is clear or not on whether the son was sorry. And so, like, I'm sitting there going, I kind of want to chime in, but then I, like, I don't know, that's maybe not my place. So I'm just sitting there while I'm studying, and I'm wondering, like, can they see my screen and see, like, what I'm doing? Like, are they going to think that I'm, like, I don't know, whatever. But, um... I'm listening to them, and, and they're arguing about it. And basically what they come to at the end of the talk is that Jesus doesn't say whether the younger brother is sorry or whether he's not. The son leaves, and he squanders all the money. And literally, Jesus says he's hungry, and so he decides to come back home. He's hungry, and he says, hey, maybe if I just go back to my dad, maybe he won't take me back as a son, I know that. I mean, I screwed that up a long time ago, but, but maybe he'll, like, hire me as a slave or something. Maybe, like, I can be one of his servants, and, I mean, at least they get fed, right? That's better than, than where I'm at now, right? So this is his mindset as he comes back, right? And this is kind of, like, where Jesus has the story at this point, right? And, and um, I want to read the next passage from the message version. Eugene Peterson wrote it because I love 
the way that he puts it. And, and basically, just for those of you that care about this, um, the message version, Eugene Peterson actually translated it directly from the original Greek. And so he basically took it and then put it in like common layman's terms, like nowadays talk, basically. And, and in, in Luke 15, 17 through 19, um, or I'm sorry, 20 through 24, uh, this is the message version. It says, when he was still a long way off, so the son's coming back home, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here. He's given up for dead, and now he's alive. Given up for lost, and now he's found. And they began to have a wonderful time. So the son goes, you know what? At least my father's servants can eat, right? At least they're eating. I mean, maybe it's not much better than that, but at least they're eating. I'll just go home. I'll see how that goes. And while the son is still a long way off, the father runs to him. Now, again, we're out of context. We don't understand totally what's going on. But just put yourself in this situation. Imagine that you're the father, right? How many of you have ever been running and you like to look at, uh, well, first of all, how many of us like run on a consistent basis? Me either. Awesome. Um, I really don't. I hate running. It's the worst thing in the world. Um, But... When I have dappled in the sin that I call running, um, as, as I'm running, I, I like to look at a, like a really far point. You know what I mean? Like you look at like one light post or like one landmark or something way down there. You can see really far, right? Because you look way down there and you're like, well, I can see it. It can't really be that far, right? And then you're like going and you're going and you're like winded like the fourth step in, you know, and you're just like, how far away is that light post, right? And could you imagine this? You're in the father's position and you see the son so far away. It said once the sun gets into sight, like, dude, on a clear day in flat land, you can see five miles. Did you know that? It's crazy. If, you, if there's like no, you know, like basically it's, it's like the curvature of the earth is part of what's like affecting that. And on a clear day, like no haze or anything, you can see five miles straight away. And the father sees the sun far off. Let's imagine it's a clear day because that would be fun, right? And he starts to run. Now, there's another level to this. It gets even better, okay? Jewish men did not wear running shorts, Right? This is crazy. I would have known. They wore tunics, right? And here's the other thing. If you were a wealthy Jewish man, you ain't running. You're never running. Literally ever running. You have servants to do that stuff for you, right? No, I'm not joking. They never ran. And you're in a tunic, right? So imagine you're in a tunic. You see your son five miles down the road. You never run. You're not conditioned for your 5K. You're not conditioned for your 10K, right? And the father takes off running. I can imagine his tunic is like, he's like holding it up, right? And he looks like a total goofball. He's probably flashing the neighbors. I mean, let's be honest, right? And he's just like, he's taking off. 
and he runs all the way to his son, right? Like priority number one is not his reputation. Priority number one is not looking cool. Priority number one is not making his son fulfill all the right steps to get his sonship back. No, he goes at his son and he hugs him and he kisses him and he puts a robe on him, which is a sign of honor. And then scripture says that he gives him the family ring. You know what that means? You never left. You were, you were never not a son. Like, you've been my son the whole time. Immediately, he says, get the ring. Like, get the family crest. Like, let's get it tattooed on this dude. Like, he's never not been my son. And, and, and the son starts in on his spiel, right? Like, he's like, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Like, literally, he says it exactly like he rehearsed it, looking at the pigs eating slop. And the father doesn't listen it doesn't matter. That's not the priority right now. Do you guys see this picture? And see, that's, that's the engine. A lot of the time when people talk about the prodigal son, they talk about the son, right? A lot of the time they talk about the son coming back, right? right? Like realizing that he was wrong and repenting and coming back to the father. But here's the deal. That's not the thrust. That's not the engine of the story, Jesus tells three stories here, back to back to back. The first one, there's a lost sheep, and the lost sheep returns home because he's part of the flock, and that's where he belongs, and the shepherd goes to great lengths to bring the sheep back. He talks about the woman that lost the coin, and she loses this coin, and it's her coin, and it belongs with the other coins because that's where it belongs. That's its rightful place. And she turns the whole house upside down to find that one coin because her heart was desiring to have that coin put back in its rightful place, right? And then he tells the story about the son who gets lost and the father's heart to put that son back in his rightful place. Place. Are you guys with me? Do you see this? This story is not about what you do at all. It's about who you are. It's about who you are. What did the sheep do to come back home? Nothing. What did the coin do to be put back in its rightful place? Nothing. What did the son do? I mean, he came home, but... He literally was coming home under the pretense of being a slave. He came home because he was hungry. What did he really do to reinstate his sonship? Nothing. The story is about the heart of the father for his son and to bring the lost people back. It's the craziest thing. This story is not about what you do. It's about who you are Labels are so important. Labels are so important. Guys, this past week, I had a mind-blowing experience. I went um, to Rosedale Park Baptist Church on Evergreen in Detroit. If y'all have been to Evergreen in Detroit lately, um, not the best part of town. I, my friend Drew lives in a pretty rough part of town, and I had never been that far west in Detroit. It's like kind of before you get to Dearborn and Dearborn Heights, right? So it's like in that little corner that's completely forgotten about. Um, and I'm driving through, and I, I honestly, like I was talking with Alyssa, and I was like, I, I can't believe that this is really that bad. 
Like, it's literally in the middle, and uh, it's just, it's, it's blight, man. Like, that's, like, the worst that, that Detroit has seen. And I'm out here at Rosedale Park Baptist Church because there's this guy named John M. Perkins talking. And John M. Perkins actually was one of the, he, he was one of the leaders of the civil rights movement with MLK Jr. Um, and he was born in 1930. He's 87 now. And uh, he went through the whole civil rights movement. Like, he was, like, getting beat because he was peaceful protesting. And he was literally, like, he's got stories about getting beat all night long in prison and just all this crazy stuff, man. And he's a Christian, and he talks about his desire to bring the gospel to even people that oppressed and opposed him his entire life. And he talked about how he wants the church to be able to reconcile racially, how, the, how he wants the church, he desires for the church to be one. Like Jesus prayed, I pray that they would be one as, as we are one. And he, like, that's his whole heartbeat, right? And he's this big-time civil rights activist. And now he's 87, so he just goes to all these different churches, and he talks and stuff like that. And he said something that was so fundamentally mind-blowing, and I could never have understood it until he put it this way. But he was talking about how 1964, 1965 was kind of like the first time that a black man could actually vote in the South. Because for a long time, like, you could vote, but you couldn't vote. You know what I mean? And there were so many laws that were put in place and so many loopholes and stuff that they just could not overcome to the point where, like, he couldn't vote. And then there was this campaign that was going around at the time that he was saying that, that kind of went, like, one person, one vote, right? And so he said what that said to him and all of his brothers and sisters was that if you can't vote, I guess you're not a person. And this is during the time of Jim Crow laws, and this is during the time, you know, all of this stuff. And he said that the craziest thing is, is if, if the Constitution says that all men are created equal, but you're not actually equal, and then you've got things going around, people saying that you're three-fifths of a human, right? You guys have heard these, this history. And he was talking about all this history, and he said the craziest thing is when someone tells you that you're three-fifths of a human, when they say it's one person, one vote, and you can't vote, so apparently you're not a person. And they talk at you like you're an animal, and they call you an animal. It's the craziest thing. You have to fight real hard not to live into that. He said, when they told me I was less than human, I kind of wanted to just live up to that label of less than human. Right? If that's who you say I am, I guess that's who I am. And it's crazy, like, there's so many studies about, like, you know, if you call a, a kid a bad kid versus calling a kid a good kid, like, you know, they, they live into what you've, what you've labeled them, right? We see this all the time, stereotypes of people, and, like, if you, if you stereotype someone and you put them in a box, a lot of the time, like, psychologically, it's so hard to get out of that, right? Like, you have to fight hard to not be that thing that whatever anybody else expects you to be, right? And he's talking about what it was like to be labeled, what it was like to be told he was less than, and how hard of a fight that has been his entire life to actually just be recognized as a person, right? And, and it hit me how important labels are. Uh, Lindsay Fisher, she does the All Worthy of Love outreach, and we support them every month. She says something all the time that I just think is so phenomenal. She says, get this, people don't need to be told what's wrong with them. They need to be told what's right with them. And I think it's so good because they don't go out to these women that are stuck in sex trafficking and say, you're making a poor decision with your life. Right? You don't think they already know that? Right? She says, no, you're loved. You are worthy. 
You are desired. You are beautiful. You are so important. Your potential is sky high, and it is not what you're settling for, right? That changes the picture completely, right? Labels are so important. And you see this story, it correlates almost completely with the other two, with the previous two stories, right? The sheep and the coin, and then we've got the sun. But there's one difference with this story. And the way that we interpret parables is actually like you have to look at the difference. You have to look at the one thing that is kind of the point. Because usually parables only kind of ramp up to one point, right? A lot of the early church fathers actually called this the parable of the older son, not the parable of the prodigal son. Kind of cool, huh? So what happens here is in Luke 15, verses 25 through 32, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back. After squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So he's like, dude, this is so unfair. I've been here the whole time. I've done everything you wanted me to do. I followed all the rules to the letter. And you treat this, this runaway, treat this piece of garbage like you treat me? No, you treat him better than you treat me? How is that possible? You hear his anger and his resentment and his jealousy. And then the father looks to him and he says, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. That's my favorite verse, by the way. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Here's the hinge. This is the whole thing of the story. Because, see, the older brother is upset that the father is not defining the younger brother by his mistakes. He's upset that the father is not holding the younger brother's past against him. He is upset. It looks like it's not fair. Why would you treat him that way? You don't even treat me that way. Do you guys see that? It feels wrong. It feels unfair. And see, here's the thing. Jesus tells this story because the Pharisees start out by saying, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. What is the deal? Who does this guy think he is? That he can just take these people, rough around the edges as they may be, and just call them part of his crew. And they walk with him, and they listen to him, and they talk with him, and they joke with him, and they eat with him. And they're probably sharing the same hummus bowl, right? Like, this is not right. And Jesus tells this string of stories, and it ends with, the Pharisees start to realize, like, they are the older brother. They are the older brother, right? And here's the thing, guys. I was raised in the church, right? I, I have never not been in the church, and so I know what it's like to be a religious person, okay? So when I say religious people, I'm talking about myself too, right? But religious people have a really hard time with grace. I'm just going to say, I'm going to throw that out there. 
If this offends somebody, I'm sorry, this is the truth. Religious people have a very hard time with grace. We hear it a lot. The staff at Central hears it a lot even in like, Honestly, we're one of the better churches when it comes to grace in the area because I've, I've been around and I've talked to people. But, like, like, we get it a lot even, people saying, like, wait, why don't you guys talk about, like, sin? Why don't you guys tell people where they're wrong? Why don't you guys tell people, like, what they're doing that's, like, wrong and, like, sinful? Why don't you tell them that, like, God hates what they're doing, right? And a lot of the time what happens is if you're a religious person, you've been there the whole time. You've been there right alongside the Father the whole time. And a lot of the time, you forget that the heart of the Father, the entire engine of the story, the thrust of the story, the whole hinge, the axis of the universe, if you will, is the Father trying to bring the lost son home. Right? That's his heart. That's his desire. It doesn't matter. He's going to run. It doesn't matter. He's going to put the family ring on his finger. It doesn't matter because that's the heart of God. Right? And here's the thing, is in the story, you would think Jesus would take this opportunity to set it up big time and burn the Pharisees, right? You'd think that he's like, oh, but see, they don't get it, but I'm God, so I get it, so (laughs) here it goes. And he would tell the story, and maybe at the end you would think he'd be like, like, you're stupid, (laughs) right? To the Pharisees. But here's the thing, he starts to paint the Pharisees in this older brother category. And a lot of the time, be honest, I fall into that category, and you fall into that category. A lot of people we know fall into that category. And he doesn't condemn them. He says, you are always with me. Everything that I have is yours. You've been here the whole time. You never left. You wanted a party, ask me. Everything is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Do you understand how much I love you? Do you understand how much my heart beats for you? My heart beats for you just like my heart beats for him. Yeah, he ran away and he's getting the attention, but you've always been here, dude. You guys see that? That's so beautiful. And here's the thing. We get so stuck in the patterns. We get so stuck in these patterns of like, We're doing the church thing, and we're doing everything right, and we're trying to follow the rules, and we're being good religious people that we forget about the heart of the Father. You forget about the heart of God. You forget about the heartbeat. You forget about his love for you and his desire for you. And a lot of the time, what I've found is when I tend to be judgmental towards somebody else, a lot of the time I'm judging out of my own insecurities, A lot of the time, I'm telling somebody else that they're wrong because really there's this other thing that I don't want to deal with behind the curtain. And Jesus tells this whole story to wrap it back around. As the early church fathers put it, it's the parable of the older brother. And he says, here's the the whole crux of the story. You've always been with me, and everything that I have is yours. It's all yours. You were here the whole time. So what we're going to do is we're going to have the band come up. And if you are in this room today and you identify more with the younger brother, let's say you feel like you're pretty far away from God and you feel like maybe the things that you have done, you know, I I hear people all the time say, oh, I can't go to church. I I, I got a lot of stuff I got to figure out first, right? Maybe you're here, but you like don't totally feel like there's a thing between you and God because 
you just never, you don't get it. You don't know all the things that you need to know. You, you don't know all the, have all the memory verses memorized and, you know, maybe make bad decisions on the weekend. You know, like, who knows? Maybe you feel like you're far away from God. And this story is telling you there is no separation between you and the Father. The minute that you turn your face to him is the minute that he runs to you at all costs. Like he loses his dignity, forget about that. He loses his like piousness, he loses his, his wealth, he loses, it doesn't matter. God says, no, 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 the whole thing is at your home and that's what matters. And so if you feel far away from God today, I just wanna tell you that there is nothing between you and Jesus. There is absolutely nothing between you and Jesus and all it takes is a shift of the mindset for you to recognize that and to live like it, right? And maybe you're in here and you're in that second category and, and you've been feeling like the older brother a lot more, right? You've been looking at the world and saying, man, that, that person's so wrong and that person does it the wrong way and man, that person, they just really gotta get right, dude. Like I wish they gotta find Jesus, right? And maybe if we're honest, you've been in that spot and I just wanna encourage you today, there is nothing between you and Jesus. You've been there the whole time. You are always with him and everything that he has is yours. He loves you so much. There is no separation between you and Jesus and all that it takes is for you to see it. All that it takes is for you to wake up and realize it and he's right there. He's always loved you. He always will. There's no separation between you and Jesus. And here's the thing about the labels, right? The son, the younger son was living outside of his understanding, right? He was living outside of his label as son. He told his, his father, I don't want to be your son anymore. Give me what you owe me and I'm going to take off and I'm going to do my own thing, right? And when he comes back, he's immediately reinstated as a son. And, and here's the thing, we live up to our label, right? We live up to what God has called us. And so then the older son, he starts living outside of his label too, right? He's a son too, but he starts getting all jealous and all frustrated and he starts to question the father. He starts to get angry at the father and he starts to live outside of his label. And the father just looks at him and says, you have always been my son. You will always be my son and there's nothing you've got to worry about. You're always with me and everything that I have is yours. So whatever's going on in your life, wherever this hits you, however this hits you, I encourage you to pray and think and meditate in these next couple minutes before we go out to our barbecues and go have fun and hang out on the fact that there is no separation between you and Jesus and that God loves you right where you are. And all that other stuff, you know, stopping sinning, living more like Jesus, looking more like Jesus, that all happens in the, in the, on the way, man. That's all a process because you live into your calling. You live into your label and God has called you a son. He's called you a daughter. He says you belong, you are loved and that's the end of the story. There's no tag-ons. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll sing together. Father, I thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing here at Central Church and I thank you for this message that you've put on our hearts this morning. God, I pray that as we deal with this in our own individual ways, I pray that pray that you would move in this time, God, that you would show yourself to us, that we would know that we are always with you and that everything 
that you have is ours. We love you. We're going to stop trying to measure up. We're going to stop trying so hard and spinning our wheels and getting nowhere. God, we're going to rest in the fact that you love us. We're going to rest in the fact that we belong to you. And we're going to let the rest take care of the rest. We thank you, Jesus. In your name, everyone said. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.